Welcome back to the second part of Who Am I? At looking at the role models and relationships on who made me into the man that I am today. Now, first and foremost, most role models will be positive, but there are some negative role models that are in your life that, uh, you know what, sometimes they do teach you lessons which will just make you a better person if you choose to. So let's start off with the first role model in my life. That would be my mother. So my mother was 18 when she had me. She continued high school, not to get her diploma. She also went on to college while working to provide for me. That um, eventually, years down the road, she became a business owner, manager. Uh, she volunteered with many different organizations. Um, you know, she even went back to college later on in life in order to learn some uh, new trades that would help out in her, in her volunteer organizations. Uh, and sadly, she passed away uh, earlier in 2023. Now my father. Well, my father disappeared at the first announcement that my mother was pregnant. So from this, uh, this gave me the determination to be the best father I can be to my children. I never met my father. I saw him once in a parking lot uh, when I was 16, and uh, needless to say, I really didn't want to go meet him. When I was five, my mother married uh, who I consider to be my dad. He adopted me, and I have used his last name ever since. So, yes, I was born with a different last name. That, um, that marriage, it lasted about four to five years, uh, but out of that, I, you know, that's where I got my sister, you know, so, um, now, what do we take from that, is that, you know, this, you know, this man, my dad, um, you know, he was an alcoholic when he was younger, so therefore, you know, I got to see the medical and health effects of alcohol, um, you know, when he got older. Eventually, he succumbed to his medical issues, right? and you know he ended up passing away when I was around 16, 17 years old. Right. Um, my mother also started dating an active alcoholic. Uh, he was verbally abusive, not physically, right? but uh, and that lasted about four years right, while he was drinking uh, until eventually she moved out. That night that he came home and we had moved out, he came home to a card table, one plate, one fork, one knife, one spoon, one coffee cup, and that was it. Everything else had been taken. Now, kudos to him. That is the night that he quit drinking cold turkey. Uh, so one year later, uh, after he had been sober all that time, that uh, my mother reunited with him and uh, ended up moving uh, back in with him and down to another another city. Uh, eventually, she ended up uh, getting married at when I was 19 to him. Uh, but then later on, they ended up getting a divorce when I was like 37. So they were together for quite some time. Um, him and I had a very rough relationship. Uh, it was not a very decent one, but uh, it was a very civil one. Um, 
I was civil towards this this man uh, just in order to make my mom happy. Because as long as she was happy, that's all that mattered to me. So who's the next role model that's in your life? Or your grandparents. So my grandfather. Here, here's a, a gentle giant that you know he was he was a big man, uh, yet he was quite, quite the uh, quiet gentleman. Yet he was stern. He was a farmer. He worked in construction. He played the fiddle. Uh, he taught us how to play cards. You know, uh, one of the one of the lessons that we learned was uh, how to play cribbage. So he would teach you how to play, give you a couple days of learning the rules, learning how to count. And by the third day, whatever points you missed, he took. So you learn how to how to count pretty quick. Um, he had a great sense of humor about him. You know, uh, we would wake up in the morning and being out on the farm, we would walk out and he'd walk over to the fence and say, hey, grab a hold of this wire. Yes, it was the electric fence to the cows next door. So yes, we would get a shock. And he would just giggle away because he knew it wouldn't hurt us. It would just, you know, put a little jolt in your step. Uh, he loved to take Sunday drives just to see the crops in the neighborhood. Uh, and also, you know, the coffee time with the boys that after his morning chores that down at the local coffee shop restaurant. Um, it was great camaraderie between him and his friends. And it was nice to be a part of that. Now, the next person that that would be my role model would be my grandmother. She was very loving, caring, teaching. Uh, she would take the time to teach you how to cook, how to bake. You know, uh, and she would always sit down and she would take the time to color, build Legos, uh, you know, teach you how to garden, teach you, you know, how to keep a house. Whether you liked it or not, she taught you those lessons. So it was, it was great having my grandmother around. Now, as a kid, I moved around a lot. Now, through the different relationships, uh, different jobs, you know, it ended up that from kindergarten to grade 13, I went to eight different schools. You know, this made it very easy to make friends, but eventually it was hard to let people see me real me you know because you never knew when you were going to be moving on so you always kept things bottled up and you never let yourself be seen you know when I was younger that I had a best friend you know all through public school now even though I moved we reckon uh, reconnected in high school that and I went off to university and in my second year of university, I got, I got word that he had committed suicide. Of course, I went home. I went to the funeral. You know, this is, this was hard because this was one of my first real friends, and he was gone. Now I also had another friend who, over the years, I considered to be my best friend. You know, we would always connect at holidays and group gatherings. Then later in life, he was always too busy. That when I had major events in my life that I wanted to celebrate or needed a shoulder, 
he could never find the time. And recently, after 30 plus years of friendship, I had to cut ties. Because apparently the friendship meant more to me than it did to him. It was hard because when you get older, you don't have a lot of friends. You don't have a lot of really good friends, ones you can count on. And when you cut ties, that just means there's even less. There were other people that, you know, affected me um, through theater. A couple that that came to mind uh, was uh, there was a gentleman that taught me the, the art of the set build, the lights, the sound. Um, he really brought me into the world of theater. And I really considered him to be like a father figure to me. He was a wonderful man. At, and unfortunately, uh, lost him to a, uh, a sudden heart attack. That was a tough one. Because I had just seen him that afternoon. And we laughed, we joked. And then he's gone. Now, there's another gentleman in the theater that taught me a lot about the the acting, the directing, the other side of the theater. Now, he came down with cancer. He went through the treatments. He went through all the chemotherapy. He did everything he could. And, you know, they released him. Everything seemed fine. And then he got the news that it was back. Now, unfortunately, he did not have any family that he, uh, you know, had to worry about, that he had to be there for. So he decided that he was no longer going to take any treatment and just to let him go. This was also hard, but a little bit easier to take because we had time to accept it, to say goodbye, and, you know, it, it was still difficult, though. Now, I had my first real relationship that when I was, wasn't until I was about 20. Now, I've dated over the years, but I would have to say that through my years, I've only had three long-term relationships. Um, now, the first first relationship I had was to the mother of my son, that uh, we were together for about eight years, that I was a stepdad to uh, to two of her children. Um, but, you know, it, we, we had some good times, we had some rough times, that, but, uh, you know, through it all, now, we're actually on really good terms. I would say we're pretty good friends. You know, we can laugh and joke that she's moved on, she's remarried, that, but... Uh, you know, she was one of my first real long-term relationships. My second long-term relationship was hell. Just to put it, just to put it politely, um, she emotionally manipulated me. She emotionally destroyed me, and you know, I do believe that that is where was the onset of some of my anxiety and depression. Now, the nice thing is, is that I never see her, which is a blessing. Now, the third 
long-term relationship that I had was to the mother of my stepdaughter. Her name is Julie. When I met Julie, I had been single for four years. I had reserved the fact that through all the ladies and dating sites that I had given up on love. Then she walked through the door to her work where I was for the day as a trainer. The moment I saw her, my heart fluttered and she stole my breath away. There was something about her that was captivating. Her smile, her laugh, her personality and natural beauty. At that moment, I believed in love at first sight. Through the training, we laughed and joked as if we had known each other for years. After I wrapped things up, I said my goodbyes, and when we shook hands, we both felt something happen, something magical. Fast forward a year and a half, I finally asked Julie out on a date for her birthday. We never looked back. We knew moving forward we were living a life together with a blended family. I have my son, and she has her three daughters. When dealing with older children, it is important to allow them to also set boundaries for how they want to be a part of the relationship. At this point, we live an hour apart from each other, but that never stopped us. After two and a half years, I sold my house to move in with her and her youngest daughter. The two older girls were already living on their own. About six months before I moved in, Julie had started feeling symptoms, like lightheaded under certain lighting, tired constantly, no energy, heavy menstrual cycles, and these were just a few of the things. So she reached out to a doctor that she had seen many years before, who was a blood specialist. He was really a pioneer in the field. Uh, he performed many tests, including extracting bone marrow, yet the result came back inconclusive. Her energy levels fluctuated, but seemed to be better over the summer. Uh, I tried to plan days at the beach, long drives, lunches at places she went to with her dad when she was young. When it got closer to Christmas, Julie dreaded going into the mall. Uh, she was really affected by the lights. Uh, so to help her out, we would go shopping in little towns or find her favorite store, like, for example, Sage, uh, in downtown Oakville. Uh, we would walk the streets, getting hot chocolate, dinner, and a beautiful large knit blanket just because she liked it. But once again, Julie started having symptoms again. We once again returned to the doctor to run tests and extract bone marrow. This time, the test results came back positive on April 16th. Chronic myeloid leukemia. This test also showed that she was a rare case that could not benefit from long-term oral chemotherapy. Her only option was for a stem cell or bone marrow transplant. The next few months were filled that with tests and hospital visits, getting Julie's affairs in order, family meetings with the doctor, and hospital staff. Through the miracle of blood technology, they found a 10 out of 10 match for Julie. This donor, somewhere in the world, has the ability to give his stem cells that will be transported and infused into Julie's blood. This process will change her bone marrow to, to start producing new blood, free from leukemia. On August 1st, Julie was admitted to the hospital to start the high-dose chemotherapy to kill her bone marrow. On the night of August 8th, the new stem cells arrived and were administered. Trust me, for an amazing procedure, the fanfare was a little lackluster. Through the entire chemotherapy, the hospital had to give her red blood cells and platelets as her bone marrow stopped. 
On August 15th, Julie was having migraine symptoms, but was able to rest with the room darkened. On the night of the 16th, she was also having some pain and discomfort in her back. The nurses scheduled an ultrasound and also test for the next morning. On the morning of the 17th, Julie collapsed. After multiple tests, she was diagnosed with another blood disorder, disseminated intravascular coagulation. Essentially, the platelets that were given to her created hundreds of tiny blood clots and suffocated her organs. She passed away that night with her family by her side. We had just gotten started.